It's, uh, it's a true privilege to be here. Um, it's actually awesome to be here. Um, before we get into the Word of God, one of the things I like to do before I'm, I preach is when I'm in a gathering, I, I kind of ask the Lord, what is, it, what is it you have for this, uh, this congregation today? Which is not my way of saying I haven't prepared a sermon. <laughs> By the way, but, you know, um, and uh, when I was teaching at the, is it the 10 o'clock? 10 o'clock service. Um, I was sitting in worship and I felt the Lord very, I asked the Lord, what season are these guys in? What do we call that, this season that they're in? And because of the way my mind works and because of the way my uh, predisposition works, I, I love sports. So he always speaks to me in sporting terminology. He said, it's, it, Carl, it's moving day. Now, those of you who know anything about golf will know, which is, how many of you know anything about golf? Like no one in, like like no one. Well done, seven of you. I'm speaking directly to you. Let me me educate the rest of you, okay? In a golf tournament, there are four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, On Thursday and Friday, um, basically, if you're a competitor, you try not to make mistakes, you try to stay in, because there's a cut at the weekend. You try and stay in the cut. You try and stay in the hunt. So your posture is defensive. But Saturday is called moving day. Saturday is the day when you change from being defensive to becoming aggressive. You try and, uh, and make positive moves um, so that you have a chance of winning the tournament. And I felt the Lord was saying, hey, this church is it's moving day. It's moving day. It's a day when you move from stopping trying to make mistakes Stop, stop trying to make mistakes. And it's a day when you start making aggressive mistakes. <laughs> it's a day when you start roughly ready, here we go. It's time to put in practice everything that God has placed in us. The Lord has blessed you in so many ways. It's a moment for you to start expanding. So I felt the Lord was saying there's a pivot moment for you in this season. So can I pray that for you before we get into this? Is that okay? Four of you think that's okay. Great. I'm going to do it anyway. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're a speaking God. We thank you that your plans for us are bigger than any plans we have for ourselves. We thank you for everything you poured into this church. We thank you for the leaders of this church. We thank you for the way in which they hear your heart and obey your voice. And I pray, Father, that you would give them a godly courage in this season to take hold of the things that you've taken hold of them for to run with the dreams, to speculate with what's in their hands, and to go after it. I ask this in the precious name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'd love it if you turn to Exodus and chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, why do you not have a Bible? Uh, But if don't mean that to shame you. You've got a phone, there's a Bible on your phone, get it out. Um, If you play Angry Birds, you go to hell. Um, No, you will, literally. So Exodus chapter 3. Let me tell you, I have many mentors in my life because I need them. Like I have therapists, I have have a coach, I have a spiritual director, I have mentors in my life. And uh, the wildest, craziest mentor I have in my life is a man called Jimmy from Scotland. I I live just, just south of Edinburgh in Scotland. Jimmy from Scotland sounds like stereotypical, but his name is Jimmy and he is from Scotland. And and Jimmy, I I come from Edinburgh and Edinburgh is very smart Scotland. You know, but Jimmy comes from Thay Dunfumlin and he's a big guy. And I meet Jimmy 
like once every like six weeks or something and I always meet him in his favorite coffee shop. He thinks he's discovered a new place called Starbucks. So we go to this place called Starbucks and he always tries to get there ahead of me so that when I walk into the room, he can greet me. And the way he greets me every time as he stands up and he says, big man. Like this is in Starbucks in Morningside. Big man, he says. Disrupt yourself, big man. Disrupt yourself big man now it's very embarrassing <laughs> people I know might be around it's very dramatic but effectively what he's trying to say is that the forward momentum of my life is going to come the way of disruption Everything good in my life is going to come as the, as the far, on the far side of agitation and disruption. Everything good in your life comes the far space of agitation and disruption. When you came to know Christ, there was a disruption. When you met the person, if you've met the person, if you haven't met the person who's going to be your life partner, you might even do so today. But, but if you, you know, you, it beca- it's disruptive. It changes your life. If you, if, how many of your parents? Two of you. <laughs> Excellent. Wrong audience, Carl. Wrong. Wrong audience. But those of you who are parents, you know how disruptive that is. It's the best thing in the world and it's the most disruptive thing in the world. Everything good comes the far side of disruption. Carl, you're going to have to shake yourself out of comfort for you to be and become all that God has for you. You're going to have to shake yourself out of comfort. You see, comfort zones are awesome. They're great. They're great places, places to rest. They're great places to heal. They're great places to recuperate and, 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 and recover from difficult situations. But you will not really grow in a comfort zone because you cannot truly reflect about the difficult things in a comfort zone because you're not being stretched in a comfort zone because no one's pushing you in a comfort zone because you're not scared out of your wits in a comfort zone. You won't grow in a comfort zone. And so you need to be disrupted constantly in, out of those comfort zones so that you might grow. And I think that's why God's got you here. You think it's a habitual thing, the reason you're in here today. Or you think it was cool, I'll show up church, or the worship band is great, or who knows, Pete might be preaching. And, and, and you, you thought that's why you'd show up. You're here because God wants to disrupt you. Because that's what he does. And, and, and although you might not necessarily think this yourself, you have intentionally placed yourself in the middle of a disruption process. That's what this is. It's an encounter with God. That's when, when, when the word is opened up, God speaks. And when God speaks, he disrupts. I mean, check it out. He takes Abraham and he moves him. He takes Jacob and he makes him a refugee. He, he takes Nehemiah who's tasting wine and he makes him build a wall. He takes David who's, who's looking after sheep and he puts him in a palace. He, he takes his son and he moves him out of the throne room of heaven and he's born in a cow shed. And then he dies on a villain's cross. He takes a group of people who are petrified in an upper room because they don't know what, which way is up and which way is down. And they know that, that Jesus is dead and, and, and he fills them with the Holy Spirit and it catalyzes everything in their life. And they're ejected out of that room and they make a difference in the whole of the world because God is a disruptor. And that's what he's, in the words of my American friends, fixing to do with you in his grace and in his mercy. And with his deep, deep love, he wants to stir you from your comfort zone. And he wants to move you out of your restrictive living. He wants to disrupt your thinking. And he wants to set your heart on fire with his grace. I'm so pleased to be here. Let's open our Bibles. Exodus chapter 3.
That was introduction. This is a very long sermon. It's going to be. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3. This, this is the passage that many of you would have heard before. You've, uh, if you've grown up in church and you, you're biblically dangerous, you know exactly what's going on. Is your Bible speaking to you? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> is she a member of your staff, Pete? Did you get clapped before you got... No. <laughs> okay, Exodus chapter 3, here we go. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, Moses called to him from within the bush. Moses, God, so God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now... The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. Today we... Um, we encounter a masterclass. Thanks. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> Today we, uh, we encounter a masterclass in, in kingdom disruption. Um, it's like Act 1, Scene 1. We find Moses and he's in his own comfort zone. He's settled in a desert. Now, I'm pretty sure that's not what he had in mind for his life. You know, he was like the prince of Egypt. It was like 40 years since he'd been the prince of Egypt thing, and he killed a man thing, and he'd run away from Israel thing, and he finds himself in the desert. And it wasn't that bad, but because he's got a steady job, and he's got a wife, and he's got kids, and he's married, and, and, and he's settled down. But Moses is a guy who had all the potential and the promise in the world. And when we join him, look at verse 1. He's in the desert. Actually, according to the King James Version, I love this, he's in the backside of the desert, which is like the desert beyond the desert. You know, it's like the boondocks. It's like beyond the desert. It's like no one ever goes there. It's the sticks. It, so he's in the backside of the desert, and he's tending another man's flock. In other words, he's serving another man's dream. Have you ever experienced that? A kind of feeling of being in the back of beyond and no one notices you and it started off being a healthy and hidden place and now it's become a lost place. And you don't know who you are anymore or what, is, what you're for anymore, but you're in the backside of the desert and you're serving someone else's vision, someone else's dream, and you're wondering what happened to, to your dream. You're in the desert. Let me define a desert for you, just so that you're clear. 
for this purpose, a desert is any environment that limits your calling, your purpose. Any place that suffocates your beauty and your wonder and your joy and your possibilities. Any place or, or, or any situation that keeps you stuck in limiting beliefs. Any job, any team, any relationship that has become oppositional to who God calls you to be and what God calls you to do has become the backside of the desert to you and it's a place that he's about to disrupt you from. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. Every, every person in this room, the, the, the gap between and the road between their forming and their destiny is full of apprenticeship. None, none of us get to run with our dreams from day one. Every one of us gets to, has to serve someone else's dream before we can run with our dreams. But there comes a moment, right? When you go, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. And, and, and now I need to get out of this because if I stay in this, it's like, it's like Groundhog Day. It's like Repeat Day. It's like, it's like I'm stuck in this cycle and it feels comfortable, but actually it's not who I am and it's not what I'm for and it's limiting the purposes of God in me. God uses deserts, doesn't he? If you've read the Bible, you know that God uses deserts. Like he, he uses wildernesses, doesn't he? Jesus is in one, Paul's in one, he, but he always uses deserts as preparation for people. If they become permanent places, they become prisons. If, 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 the, if the preparation place becomes a permanent place, it can become a prison for you. And some of you are stuck there right now. I see it all the time. Imprisoned in the backside of the desert. I see it in churches. I see, I, I see it in denominations. I see it in places that started off as a values-based movement and somehow have become vehicle-obsessed institutions. Places where everyone joined me and said, we've got to go for that. We've got to believe in that. We're, all, we're passionate about that. If, we, if you cut us, we believe these things. And, and then they become obsessed with rules and roles and buildings and bank balances. And, and before long, it's become nothing like what it set out to do in the first place. It's become the backside of the desert. I see it in leaders who started out as risk takers and have now become caretakers. You're passionate about something and you went after something and you broke through something and then you consolidated that something and you justified the consolidation and you just go round and round and round and you're stuck in the desert. I see it in marriages. Started out with an adventure. You wanted a prince. She wanted a princess. No, the other way around. But, well... <laughs> <laughs> wow, good, excellent. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's now just become comfortable. It's become boring. And you're thinking there must be more to this and there is more to this. I see it in Christian lives. Called into destiny and living mediocrity. Your potential is always unrealized in the backside of the desert. And God says, I want to unsettle you into life. Now, just in case you're sitting there thinking this is really depressing, so, uh, notice that there is one moment that changes everything. It just takes a moment. Moses had woken up 14,600 mornings to the same vista. He'd seen the same thing 14,600 times. 40 years he'd looked out and he'd seen a desert scene. And this day he sees something different. He sees a bush that's burning and it's not burning up. And God is getting ready to set him on fire for something different. And, and, and he sees this bush and God is wanting to unsettle him into your life, in, in, into life. And God speaks through a bush that burns. 
And the challenge to Moses comes in the form of three disruptive calls. Uh, I haven't got any PowerPoints, so you're going to have to write these things down. Moses, I want you to be still. Moses, I need you to be free. Moses, I'm calling you to live brave. Moses, I want you to be still. See, Moses goes across to the bush and, and, and God says in the bush, take your shoes off for where you're standing is holy ground. And here's the thing. I'm not sure that the seminal moment in the story is a bush that doesn't burn, even though we call it Moses and the burning bush. I think the defining moment in the story is a man with no shoes in the desert. Because <laughs> how far can you go in the desert with no shoes, Right? And, and I think what God wants is, is he wants you to be present to his presence so he can talk to you about purpose. He's saying, Moses, I need you to stay here because I've got some things that you need to hear, some challenges that you need to embrace so you can move out of the desert into your destiny. How far can you go in the desert with no shoes? Take off your shoes. It's awesome, isn't it? The speaking God wants to speak to you. The problem is, most of us are never still enough to hear his voice. We're too full of, of the noise of our active lives. And so we, what we end up saying is God doesn't really speak to me, speaks to the prophetic people. Doesn't really speak to me or, or he hasn't spoken to me recently or he's not saying anything to me. Um, and, and, and so what we begin to do is we live our lives by rationale rather than by revelation because we're not hearing the voice of God anymore. And we have to because any revelation we have is stale revelation or somebody else's revelation or yesterday's revelation. And so, so the best we can possibly do is live our lives by some other form of fake revelation. And so we live our life by culture and we say, well, that's what everyone else is doing. That's what we must do. And therefore we start reading scripture through the lens of culture rather than culture through the lens of scripture and say that's the way we live our lives and it becomes authoritative. Or we say we have to live our life by tradition, what everyone's always done, and that seems to have worked for my parents, and that, that we'll, we'll do that, and that becomes the author. Or we say we'll, we'll live our life by reason, what I, what I currently think, or we live our lives by feeling what I currently feel, or we live our lives by experience, what we've experienced before in, in, in the past. And these things are, are quite helpful gestures, but they're not that helpful postures if you want to get out of the desert and you want to get into your destiny. And so we enthrone these things. Do you know that no sandals in the desert is an offensive posture in our culture? It's totally offensive. It's totally offensive to be still. It's totally offensive to stand there. It's totally offensive to, 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 to not engage with everything around you because we've made an idol of production. We've made an idol of performance. We've deified progress. We've worshipped at the temple of success and we filled our lives with getting it done, getting it done. And we wonder why we end up with this really weird relationship with God and a prayer life that is bent towards asking him to rubber stamp our brilliant plans. <laughs> and then wondering why they don't work or wondering why they feel dissonant or they feel off. Be still, be still, be still. KXC, be still. Wherever you have venerated activity and missed out on intimacy, it becomes a religion and it kills the life of God in you. Be still, be still and know that I am God what if you can't know that he's God if you refuse to be still? 
Be still and know the nature and the heart and plans and dreams of God. And then you'll be propelled into what he is saying, not just what he has said. Make space, KXC, for the God who loves to fill space. He's the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He loves to fill space when you invite him to fill fill space. Be still, turn off the noise, stop some of your programs. In fact, stop half of your programs. You've not got enough space to allow God to say what he needs to say. Stop doing things for Jesus. He doesn't need you to. (laughs) Literally, stop doing things for Jesus. He really doesn't need you to do things for him. Start doing things with Jesus. Start being with Jesus and you'll live like Jesus. Be still. He's got a book out. It's an international bestseller. (laughs) He's got a spirit that he's, that he's, filled you with he's got things he wants to say be still and get free get free in case you're wondering we are getting there by the way in case you're wondering let me help you with what your destiny is beyond the desert your destiny is freedom it's freedom to be who God made you to be who God says you are and it's freedom to love people into freedom Let me say that again. It's freedom to be who God called you to be and what God speaks over you. And it's freedom to love people into freedom. That's your destiny. So when God has Moses where he wants him, he says to Moses, I want to place you in the middle of my rescue plan for people. Free them up. Friends, 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 I've had an awesome day here. I'll come back often. Sorry. But but I love it. It's brilliant. But, But I need to tell you this. This is for that or it's not all that. This is for that. It, God wants to free you up so you can free others up. The transformation that God wants to do through you, he has to do in you. Otherwise, it's never going to flow through. You can't give what you haven't got. And, and so this is, this is for freedom so that you might free. That, that, that's, that's the idea. It starts here. And this is so hard for us to get because none of us really think we've got what it takes, right? I, I have the privilege... Um, Pete was saying, I have the privilege of being in rooms that I really shouldn't be in with leaders who have incredible power and who make incredible decisions all the time. And I tell you again and again and again, uh, repeatedly they say, Carl, do you think I've got what it takes? And undoubtedly they've got what it takes, but, but, but they totally think they haven't got what it takes. In fact, every single person, unless you're a complete narcissist in this room, thinks you actually haven't got what it takes to free people up, to make a real difference in, in, in this world. And, and Moses says, who am I to free people? And he's kind of right, isn't he? I mean, his low self-esteem, his insecurity, like his, this self-sabotaging imposter syndrome thing that, that, that he's carrying. I tell you what, it's going to keep him in the desert, circling around a comfort zone and serving another man's dream until he gets over it and gets it done and gets it dealt with and gets it healed. Does that make sense? So it's going to keep him. And, and, and Moses just begins to reveal all his fear. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? It's amazing what our limiting beliefs keep us from in life. Golly, if we could do a group therapy session. <laughs> you up for that? <laughs> it's, amazing, it's amazing what, the, what our limiting beliefs, what, what will they think? They might ridicule me. They might not accept me. Have you ever thought about this? You allow what you think they might think about what you might do to stop you doing anything. 
Because you're so paralyzed by by how other people's opinion of you and what your parents will think or what your friends will think or what other people will think and how it's going to how it's going to it's amazing how a life can be defined by a word spoken over it, right? A mistake made by it, a comparison made to it. How many how many words clumsily have been spoken over people in this room that you still carry carry with you that still wound you? <laughs> That's, that still, tri- yeah, that still trigger you, you know, whenever you hear that thing and you become a seven-year-old in that moment. Again, it, 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 is, it is staggering and it's crazy, isn't it? Your destiny is at stake. <laughs> your legacy is at stake. Your children are at stake because unless you cut it off, it just continues. Your future is at stake. The fate of other people are at stake and you allow that moment that happened at seven years of age, that opinion that someone had over you to keep you in the desert and I still live with all that stuff. I wish I could stand before you today and said, I've sorted it, no problems, totally confident, stood up here thinking I'm gonna knock this out of the park. Do you know, I haven't preached, I, I used to preach uh, three times, four times a week for 25 years. I haven't, I preached four times in four years. So this is a big deal for me to stand up and preach because I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, I still, can I still do it? Can I still preach? Will people still listen? Will they throw me out? What's going to, you know, how's it, who am I? And Moses is stuck and I love that we're going a bit long, but, but stay with me. Moses is stuck, but God has an answer and I love the answer. Look at this answer. God's answer is not some kind of self-help seminar. It's not, you the man, Moses, you the man. He's not, he's not, you the prince of Egypt. Do you remember? You got all your father, Pharaoh, woo, woo, woo. Come on. Visualize it. (laughs) Now, God says something really powerful. Verse 12, I will be with you. The God, listen, 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 if you miss everything else. The God whose perfections come in the skin of a dad says, you go, I go. You break out, we break out. You speak, I speak. And as you do, let me tell you what's going to happen. As you get out of your desert, as you make a physical step to say, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> and this feels really scary. But I'm stepping out because I feel I can't be this place. And sometimes you don't know where you're going, but you know where you can't be anymore, right? Yeah. I'm stepping out. I'm, go- I'm, I'm going after that thing. Let me tell you what's, what's going to happen. You're going to discover a whole stack of innate abilities that you can't begin to imagine in the backside of the desert. You don't even know how good you are. You're the man. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't even, you don't know how good you are. They're not available to you in the backside of the desert. They're available when you step out of the desert and into your destiny. Hmm. Moses says to God in verse 13, this is good. <laughs> Why allowed to say that? This is good. This is, whoa, this is good. I wrote this. Verse 13, what shall I say is your name? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And, and I don't know about you, but I think God is being really unhelpfully unclear. Uh, but I think he's saying a couple of things. He's saying, I am authority. Listen to me. 
Quiet those other voices that are telling you no and telling you to stay and keeping you bound and and limiting your thoughts. Listen to me. Nobody owns me. Nobody made me. Nobody created me. Nobody discovered me. I am before all things, above all things. I am and I do not change. I'm never going to change. If I was faithful then, I'm going to be faithful now. If I was powerful then, I'm going to be powerful now. If I was gracious then, I'm going to be gracious now. I am. You don't want God to change. You want everything else in life to change probably, but you don't want God to change because if God changes, he's going to have to move away from his perfection. He's going to have to move away from his love. He's going to have to move away from his grace. And God says, it's never going to happen. I'm not going to change. And if you are looking for an authority to stand the weight of your life on, it's me. No other place can take your weight. And then he says, listen, listen, this is cool. He says, I'm going to meet all your needs. When they ask you who sent, who sent you, you tell them, I am going to meet all your needs. I'm going to meet all your needs. So when you look at the rest of the Old Testament, God takes this name. This is very cool. And he uses it like a prefix to his competencies. So he uses it like the beginning of his name, and then he adds a nickname to the end of it. He says, I am. And every time the people of God had a need, God like progressively reveals more of his person to them. He says, like, like, uh, you have a need for food? I am Jireh your provider. You have a need for victory in your lives. I am Nissi. You're not going to see the victory until you need the victory. And when you need the victory, I'm going to show you that that's who I am and that's what you've got. So so when you need for peace in your life, God says, I am Shalom. I'm peace. When you need to know that God is there, he says, I am Shammah. I am the one that's there. When you need to know healing, you're you're going to know that I am Rapha, the mender forever. Every time people had a need, God gave himself a new nickname. I can see the needs of your life. And then Jesus shows up and totally pisses off all the religious guys. He annoyed them. (laughs) Because he took the holy name of God and he applied it to himself. He says, this mystical name, I am. And then he starts to add his own nicknames. He starts to say, I am the way the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except they come through me. In a world that's lost its way, I am the way definitive. In the world where truth is relative, is your truth, my truth, whoever wants to have a truth. I am truth you can stand the weight of your life on. In a world where life is so often a sham, it's a pretense you can, you, you, you can't show up with a mask. I am life in all its fullness. I'm true. I'm true life. He says, I'm the shepherd. I guide. I'm the bread. I, 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 I provide. And he says, I will be with you. This God I'm transcendent. You can't even get your head around it. I'm imminent. I'm so close. I'm with you. Changes everything. I am who I am. Tells me who I am. And here's the cool thing. Suddenly, you're not defined anymore by your circumstances. You're not defined anymore by your accomplishments, what you did or didn't do. You're not defined anymore by your experiences, who did what to you and when. You're not defined by your health or or your appetites or even your addictions. You're defined by this relationship and you're propelled, propelled by his perfections. You're defined by the possibilities of the freedom that you receive and the potential of the freedom that you can you can bring. Let me tell you who I am. I'm at peace because he is shalom and I'm holding his hand. I'm provided for, even if I think I'm not, because he's Jira and he's got it covered. I'm protected because he's Shama. I'm being healed because he's healing. And I'm not alone because he's Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord of the angel armies. And check out my gang. Because I'm, I'm I'm, I cannot be alone. 
Listen, when the presence of God goes with you, everything of God is available to you. That was the best line I wrote, so let me try it again. When, <laughs> when the presence of God goes with you, everything of God is suddenly available to you. That, I mean, just you could spend a year just dealing with that. That's not mind-blowing. That means wherever you put your feet, wherever you position yourself, wherever you presence yourself, the qualities and perfections and characteristics of God come if you let it. If you step out of your desert and into your, your destiny, I am who I am tells me who I am. Some of you need to hear God saying that right now. I'll be with you. Everything's changing. It's changing even more after this sermon. It's going up in the air. I don't know which way's up and which way's down, but, but, but I do know this, that the God that I put my trust in, the God that I stand the weight of my life on is going to be the God that journeys with me through everything that's coming down the track. Some of you, even in this moment, God is reigniting dreams that you put to bed. And some of you said, I'm too old, I'm, I'm too done, I can't do it anymore. And some of you said, that was, that was the dream of when I was a kid, or that was when, no, 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 no. That, that's you with desert thinking. Because the God of the universe who holds your hand is saying, I made you for that, I positioned you for that, I called you to that, I equipped you for that, I gave you enough for that. It's time to get out of the desert. Be still, get free, live brave. We've got like two minutes, here we go. So God has, God has, you up for two minutes more? Half of the room, the other half going, God, it's really hot in here. So, so God has Moses where he wants him and he's speaking freedom over him and, and, and Moses is getting ready to go and then God addresses him again. And, and if you, we haven't, we haven't read this, but if you, if you flicked over into Exodus chapter four, he, he says three things really quickly. He says, hey, hey Moses, what's in your hand? And what's in Moses' hand is a staff because he's a shepherd. And I like to think it's like some kind of really gnarly, cool olive wood with nice patina on the top. And, but he, anyway, it's, it, it's just a common old garden piece of wood. It, it, it's a staff. It's a symbol of leading, leading sheep. And God is saying this. What if anything that you have that you carry that is totally surrendered to me can become an instrument of transformation for everyone around you? In other words, part of the journey of getting out of the desert is working out what you've got, what you carry, what you're for. If, if you're a connector or, or you're a pioneer or, you, or, or you're someone who loves to care for people or you're someone who arbitrates between people or you're someone who can knock down a wall with your hard head or someone who, can, who doesn't care about getting out in the street and talking to someone or you're someone that, that just loves to think about ideas or you're someone that, that, that can solve problems or you're, you know, what, what is it that you carry? What is it that God endowed you with that you hold in your hand that he's fixing to use for his purposes if you get out of the desert and start speaking? speculating with it what's in your hand that you might bring to a partnership with the I am what you got what moves you what fits you what fills you what you got what you got and then God says to Moses see that staff throw it down if you're going to break out and free up I need you to surrender it, it doesn't belong to you huh. that thing that you suddenly realize is yours a gift from God doesn't belong to you it's not to be owned by you, it's to be stewarded by you. You have to use it for my purposes. So in other words, everything you have does not belong to you. And if you start owning it, it starts owning you. If you start possessing it, it starts possessing you. It's supposed to be held like this so God can use it and you can walk together into a future that blows people's minds. That's what's supposed to happen with this thing. Every single time it doesn't, it, 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 I need you to surrender it and then we can use it. 
And then the cool thing, here's a cool thing. He throws the staff down and it becomes a snake. Have you read that bit? It becomes a snake. And then, and then God says this thing, which, which most, most you probably never heard anyone preach on before. He says, pick up the snake by the tail, which is really stupid. You know, if you, if, if you are like a backwards man like me, <laughs> you know that you don't pick a snake up by the tail. You pick a snake up by the back of the head. Because if you pick a snake up by the tail, it's going to turn around and bite you. What the heck, God? Is that a misprint in the King James Version of the Bible? No, no, no. I think God is trying to train you in a way of living the kingdom which will blow your mind and then change your life. I think God is trying to say, I need you to be irrationally obedient to everything I tell you to do. Because then you'll be impulsed by revelation, not rationale. Then I will be on the throne. You will not be on the throne. Then your mind will not be on the throne. Your feelings will not be on the throne. Your experiences will not be on the throne. The culture will not be on the throne. The tradition will not be on the throne. I will be on the throne. And you will stop trying to justify your great plans and ask me to bless them. And you will start moving in the ways I've called you to move. And we can get out of deserts into destinies and we can free people. What's in your hand? Throw it down. Pick up the snake. <laughs> 